0: This is one of those um, stories with only one microphone for two speakers. Um, it's a real honor to be here. Sorry, I'm going to get dressed up again. Um, and I don't know if it's properly addressed. Thank you for the introduction, and, um, and thank you for having me here. Um, Mike, I wish I had actually um, you know, listened to you years ago, because I think I would be uh, much more prepared. Uh, to give this presentation. So I, I actually changed the title of my presentation this morning to me and my team. I should have probably written my team and me. This will be the next version whenever I, I get back home in the Netherlands. Um, thinking about why I was here and uh, you know, what brings me here at Productized, um, uh, you know, I was talking to the organizers. And I think uh, part of it is, is, is my path. Um, yes, I've um, had the opportunity to you know, managed for the past um, 16, 17 years, teams in, in France, in Italy, in the US, in India, in China, in the Netherlands today, um, for big fortune, 500 or 100 companies, and it's been an interesting ride. What I've also done, and I think this is maybe um, um, something that I, I consider has helped define who I am today, is that I ran an NGO for nine years in Zimbabwe. And I did this relatively early in my career. Um, And what I like about coming to these events is um, the fact that, I'm sorry, but I still have this thing that's kind of in my eye, so hopefully it's going to be better now. Um, What I like about these events is that it gives uh, me, at least, an opportunity to take a bit of time out of my schedule to think, to reflect, to take stock uh, of, what it is that I do, and how I behave. And since the topic is managing design, of course, I want to reflect on how I manage design and what design really means for me, what design means for my teams. So who am I? Um, a few years ago, my, my, uh, my wife wrote this fake bio. Um, I was invited to speak at DMI. Uh, they were pressuring me to, um, you know, to, to have a bio sent over to them. I didn't have the time, and I called Amy, uh, and I said, Amy, could you just like whip up a bio for me? She wrote this. Um, pretty much everything is true, except that I think that today uh, my little pleasure, guilty pleasure is no longer pistachios, but it's more chips. Uh, but uh, for the rest, it's pretty true. What was kind of interesting, what she said there, and this is why I decided um, uh, to share this with you, um, is two things. The first one is that She's a graphic designer. She knows what I do, um, and she, of course, sent this to me to show to me that she was not going to write my bio for me, for the MI, uh, but rather, you know, make fun out of it. The interesting thing is that she wrote, and I read, um, I, "I lead a team of youngsters who design fancy light switches," which is, yeah, maybe a kind of a somewhat accurate, uh, you know, uh, description of what I was doing. What I thought was kind of interesting there is that. Um, We fight, I certainly fight, and I think a whole of of us do fight the good fight of uh, promoting design, leveraging design, making sure that design gets used for the good cause. And I'll I'll speak a little bit about that uh, in a minute. But at the end, after I graduated 27 years ago now, I still have to explain to people what design is. And if I think back, when I started working, I think well, maybe by that time, you know, everybody would know what a designer is and what design does, and how it actually brings value to everything that we do for our companies. The second thing that I thought was kind of interesting in this, and which I I keep pointing out to whenever I use this slide, is the fact is the last slide, uh, the last uh, sentence. His portfolio sadly includes a bunch of stuff that was never made, that was cancelled, changed, modified, and/or ruined by management. We all believe this. (laughs) True, not true, but. I thought it was so, so right to put it there. Um, and I actually used it at that DMI conference, the way I'm doing it now, so eight years ago. This is, you know, so I've used this slide a few times. Um, I won't spend too much time talking about what, um, what design is, because I think uh, you all know what design is. And, 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 and I don't think I, I need to, um, or I haven't come here with the purpose of, of uh, getting into um, um, an exchange on, um, or a theoretical reflection of what we do as designers. But rather than this, when I arrived at my first company, and um, um, the first uh, a big corporation that I worked for was a, a company called Moen, based in the United States. Um, uh, they're, they're in uh, Ohio, um, uh, near Cleveland. And they're the, the, still today the leader in water delivery devices. At that time, we actually did a great project with Moen, which was called um, uh, the Showerhead Revolution. And the idea was that we were not looking at reinventing a showerhead with like uh, the 13th or 14th functionality on the showerhead that you would never use, but rather figure out from, a, from, a, a, from a, a, a usage point of view what the users were actually looking forward to. At that time, I was asked by my management to come up with a definition of design. So this is 2000, and to be quite honest, I think everybody was looking for a somewhat esoteric definition that they could slap on their website, and you know, and have um, people look at it and think, "Hmm, yeah, this, yeah, you know, the sort of form follows function, you know, that we designers understand, but that sometimes, you know, um, um, other functions or investors don't necessarily completely relate to." Uh, remember, huh, this is 2000. So. Instead, I I say it's unknown, I heard this from someone, Um, can't tell you where this is from, and I've actually adapted this uh, somewhat uh, uh, description of what design, rather than defining what design is, this is what design should be or what design should not be. Don't ask a designer to design you a bridge, but rather find a way to cross a river, because once you've said that, you can also ask the question, why are we even crossing the river? Is there, you know, and why is it a bridge rather than a hot air balloon or, you know, an underpass or, you know, or something else or, or a boat? Actually, this is quite, uh, I didn't realize that it was relevant for Lisbon, but uh, yes. Um, and then further down, I was also, um, and this, this is um, after, you know, figuring out how to do design. I came up with, um, uh, with, with, with uh, the, my team with those three words, which basically had a, a, a very heavy political weight in the companies that I was working for. I'll explain that in a second. Um, there's a chronology here in those three words. And I've used those three words uh, in, in, in different languages. Um, uh, this was when I was working in France for a French company, um, or lingua franca was, was, was always French. So it's directly taken from, from France, uh, French observation, observation, strategy, creation. Um, But why is it political? It really put the creation and the act of form giving, or giving embodying a solution or embodying a product, at the end of the process. It sounds like a tiny thing, but it was quite important to actually tell everybody in the organization that you could not create if you had not been doing the first two things. When I arrived in this company in France, um, we were looking at people not being at their desk as if they were not being productive. Okay, And of course, we as designers um, need to observe everything that we observe. And I think uh, it's probably one of our main qualities. Uh, but the second thing, and, and so by, by putting observation at the top, it was also a clear statement to the organization that not only did design need to observe, but everybody needed to observe so that everybody could be brought to the table later on to actually create the strategy. And I don't know if I'm not going to ask for, um, you know, a show of hands, but, um, you know, how many of us still today in 2016 can still very seriously say that we feel that we really, really, when we're embedded into a big company, that we're really key uh, in the strategy of the business. I fought for that and I keep on fighting for that Um, and sometimes we win, sometimes we don't. It was really important for us in, in, those, uh, in this chronology, in those three words, to say we want to be part of the strategy. And whatever it is that we bring from an observational point of view is an integral part of building that strategy. And actually, it ties up pretty well to what you were saying, Mike, a few minutes ago. I mean, it is um, um, you know, not, not, not necessarily the obvious things, but it is the, those elements that, that get into, um, into it. So maybe a couple of things about um, uh, Philips since I'm in Philips uh, right now. We we believe very very strongly in co-creation. We believe, and I think this has become uh, maybe a mantra or uh, you know a, a, a pre-standard way of looking at um, uh, doing design. But co-creation is um, something that we believe brings um, uh, more than just the value of doing proper design. And of course. Um, a company like, like ourselves has been doing it for a long time. Philips is 125 years old. Um, there has been design at Philips for 90 years, which um, uh, is actually one of the reasons I wanted to join this company. Uh, by the way, I work for Philips Lighting. Philips Royal is splitting into two entities, Philips Lighting on one side, Philips Healthcare on the other side. Um, the split happened earlier this year in um, in February. José Manuel dos Santos, who's sitting over there and um, who um, uh, joined us recently, is now heading our team in the United States, um, And we're building um, a, a new design team for Philips Lighting. I just want to share with you uh, this um, short um,
1: uh, animation design is at the heart of: our that we company, call our manifesto. And I way think it people really experience our um, brand products and services. In, in fact, everything you see from Philips has been designed. As proud custodians of the Philips brand, we make sure design is always the starting point for innovations, and it plays a central role in our business strategy, driving everything we bring to market. Since 1925, Philips Design has grown into one of the most vibrant and culturally diverse design groups in the world, spanning multiple disciplines. We have built our reputation by demonstrating that meaningful design is rooted in empathy for people and in a deep understanding of cultures and societies. By remaining true to these core beliefs, we've enabled people throughout the world to benefit from breakthrough technology, designed with them in mind, in ways that they find enjoyable, enriching, and easy to experience. In other words, we strive for simplicity and functionality as much as we pursue beauty, purity, and emotional relevance. By harnessing creativity in this way, in a structured and often unique manner, we've created value that helps Philips prosper as a company. In an increasingly connected world, where the tangible becomes intangible, individuals are smart, well-informed, and have higher expectations than ever. Consumers no longer simply consume, they also actively contribute. We therefore make it inviting and inclusive for others to participate. We design solutions within ecosystems that address wider needs rather than focusing on standalone products or services. We nurture long-term relationships and encourage ongoing dialogues. And we see co-creating solutions inherently as a joint endeavor, facilitated by design thinking. Throughout all this, we remain agents of change, endlessly inquisitive and provocative, challenging the obvious, and stimulating creativity throughout the entire Philips organization and beyond. It's a role we feel incredibly privileged to fulfill. We believe design can really make a difference. It helps envision a better future, but also makes those visions a reality. It lets us place people firmly at the center of everything we do. And it supports our passionate belief that we can help make the world healthier and more sustainable through a future we design together.
0: So everything's great. Um, we have this you know, wonderful design organization at Philips, and we do, to be honest. Um, but why is it sometimes so hard? You know, why does it not always work? Um, if I had the answer, I'd be maybe not sitting in front of you? Um, the answers are, are, are you know, pretty much, I mean, there, there are many, uh, many, many, many different reasons. Um, and, and, and Bruce Nussbaum, who's sitting over there, could probably you know, talk more about that because he's been looking at this for so many years. Um, and we, from the inside, as, uh, as design managers, um, you know, f- again, uh, you know, fight ways to, um, to engage, to tell the stories um, at our level uh, with our decision makers, to make sure that we leverage design as well as possible. Um, I gave a presentation a while ago, which I called uh, "Beauty and the Corporate Beast." Uh, you're familiar with the film. Actually, this is um, this is a movie by Jean Cocteau. Um, you know, from uh, uh, the, the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, now you've got uh, more animation. Um, you know, visions of this or versions of this, but. Um, I was I was taking the stand there where um, we, as designers, you know, all act um, for the good, for the good of um, our customers, for the good of our companies, for the good of the world. Uh, and then, of course, we've got ugly corporate beast, you know, that has to, um, you know, to, uh, to keep on eating and uh, keep on, uh, you know, making profit. And, of course, it's a bit more complex than that. But then... Um, Thinking about my, 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 uh, my sharing with you this morning, um, I thought, well, what has it made what, what, what is it that I can point to in my past, or in the way that I actually work with my teams uh, in the various design organizations that I've been uh, uh, leading for the past uh, 17 or so years? And I realized that actually I have to go back to one of the things that, um, uh, that really shaped probably my life, which is the time I spent in Zimbabwe. And I put those, those, those four uh, words, those four verbs, um, because it's something that I truly believe in. Um, it's the act of promoting, empowering, and representing, as well as protecting uh, or design resources or design teams. Um, and the time I spent in Zimbabwe was uh, from 1991 until 2000. So it was a long time. It was, it was nine years. I, the purpose of, 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 of my talk is definitely not to highlight you know, what I did in Zimbabwe um, uh, within that NGO, but I, I couldn't help but... Um, um, trace back to what really makes me potentially uh dealing with design in a different manner than uh potentially you know other other design managers other than the time i spent over there why i set up this this ngo which i thought i was setting up for two years to get away uh, and not have to go do military service this was something that was a not-for-profit um it was in a sense design thinking before its time because the purpose of the ngo was to work with the informal sector small-scale micro-entrepreneurs, and providing them with a design, um, a, a, a design service. So this is Mbari, um, and Mbari, um, so this is Harare, the capital of Zimbabwe. This is Mbari, which is just on the outskirts of, 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 uh, of Harare. Um, all those pictures, I had to uh, uh, put them together um, um, uh, from, from prints, actually. Um, and this was also collaborative work with my wife, who had to go and scan those images so I could show them to you today. Um, Imagine something that looks like, I don't know, uh, 20 football fields with uh, mainly men. It's a very patriarchal um, uh, community. Who have flooded the city, cannot find a job, and are basically making ends meet and putting food on the plate by doing odd jobs. They're not trained. It doesn't mean that they, they, they have no skills. But they're not trained as carpenters, welders, tinsmiths, upholsterers. They've seen people sell a chair on the side of the road, and so they copy, typically, this chair. Interestingly enough, uh, for me, what, what it really meant to go to Zimbabwe and get the money to actually perform the, 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 you know, the work that I did as design cooperation, I had to convince donors. Andre, you were talking about starting at the beginning of the year without penny to actually run this, uh, you know, this show, which you know, uh, you, you've done, you know, beautifully. Um, we were two designers at that time, straight up, almost straight out of school, and we were looking at getting people to actually fund not that much money, uh, just the, the salaries, about a thousand uh, uh, U.S. dollars a month for each one of us, uh, health coverage, um, just a you'll see a couple of uh, uh, beaten-up pickup trucks that we sometimes use, so that we could bring design counseling or design service to small-scale entrepreneurs. And I would knock on doors, and I would go talk to people. I'd talk to the United Nations, I'd talk to uh, um, 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 UNIDO, I would talk to um, 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 appropriate technology organizations, and typically the answer that I would get is like, okay, well, man, you're a designer, you want to go to Africa, I thought designers were doing pretty lamps, nice pieces of furniture. What's the point? I mean, what do you think you will be doing with um, uh, small-scale entrepreneurs, whether it's in Zimbabwe or whether it's you know, somewhere else? And, and of course, it forced me um, to think about what design did and how we could actually bring value to these communities. Um, and of course, a whole bunch of it is the observation. Let's see what it is that people are making. Let's see how they bring it to market. Let's see how they actually make money out of it. Um, Looking at the images that you have behind you, none of the surfaces that you work from are are flat. Uh, During the rainy season, it's completely muddy. During the dry season, it's completely uh, um, uh, unbearable Um, and cold, because the cold season is during the dry season. How do we make products out of that? And so we we observed and we co-created with um, uh, the craftsmen, the solutions. We, we uh, and, and it would take me more, more time than, than I have now to actually uh, uh, develop further, but um, we spent so much time observing from a distance and trying to understand even how people wanted to sketch or whether you know, they were comfortable with a side view, whether they were comfortable with a perspective drawing. And we figured out so many things. But we prototyped with them, and we empowered them, and we gave them the opportunity to actually start making things. And by doing those yeah, those, those, those prototypes and, and doing, doing those trials, we demonstrated that we could make money. Long story short, without any capital, we were generating $200,000 a year with about 60 craftsmen. We were never employing anybody. We never offered them a business. This was really design thinking before we even Bruce knew that design thinking was a word that we would use at one point or another. By the way, IKEA sponsored us. Crédit Agricole, which is a, a French bank, sponsored us and sponsored us a couple of times. So I ended up doing this for nine years and we called this design cooperation. Um, this, I think, really um, yeah, formatted the way I was looking at design and formatted the way I was working with my teams. Because the craftsmen, I keep calling them craftsmen, micro-entrepreneurs, if you want, or informal sector, by the way, the word informal sector is fantastic. Do you, do you know why we call it informal sector? It's informal because it's out of the formal sector, so you don't pay taxes. And of course, in many developing or um, uh, emerging economies, the informal sector is, is actually typically over 50% of uh, a country's uh, you know, uh, uh, worth or, or, or value. We enabled the designers with um, um, uh, basically stories um, with um, design and got them to, to actually sell their products with design thought and design developed products. Um, they were not, no longer chairs and of course they could get more money out of that, not simply because they were beautiful but because they actually served the purpose. We also looked, of course, at way to market and how to, to get those products um, uh, in front of the right people. And so, just a few pictures of the of the products. I thought um, I hesitated actually showing them to you, but I think it's uh, because to me it's. Uh, I don't look at these pictures very often. I haven't seen them in many years. Um, um, came back from Zimbabwe in, in 2000. But uh, for example, a very example just to 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 explain some of the work that we did here. All of the joints uh, that you have on this chair are half-lap joints. Uh, why half-lap joints? Simply because um, when colonial powers arrived in, in, in many parts of Africa, they brought their ways of doing products, and they brought their ways of, of assembling wood, for instance. And in Zimbabwe, some, you know, probably at some point, some, um, you know, some English um, um, uh, father, uh, because religion was always tied to colonization, of course, um, you know, came with a book on, 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 you know, on, on wood making um, and uh, you know, decided that tenon mortise joint was the best joint possible, which is true. It is true, it's the best possible joint because it offers the most surfaces of contact. And if you do it well with wood that's been properly cured, that makes sense. Now, if you do this from the, the environment that you just looked at a few seconds ago, it doesn't work because you don't, have, you don't have a good chisel, you don't have the right tools to actually create the right tenon or the right mortise. And so at the end of the day, you have very, very weak joints. And so we co-created with all those with, with uh, uh, those carpenters who, who were um, incredibly um, uh, easy to work with in the end, and who became and, and claimed themselves to have become the designers of their own products. We never designed the products for themselves. If anything, we helped them, but we never created the, the products. And so I realized that um, um, one of the things that I uh, probably um, uh, ended up doing um, is, is looking at design from um, an, an certainly an unconventional way. And when I started applying it in the corporate environment, I was looking at just finding solutions, again, back to the bridge. Looking at a way to cross a river, and not necessarily to, you know, to to um, uh, to to create a bridge. So when I say promote, empower, represent, and protect, team, what I really mean is this: is I think, and again, this is this is very personal. Um, um, as I said at um, you know at the beginning of um, of, of of my presentation. Um, I wanted to be relevant to the theme. The theme was managing global design teams. Um, And yes, I do that. Um, And and I'd like to say that it's something that challenges me every day. Um, It's something that I love doing. Um, But I wanted to to, to use this time to figure out what it is that I might be doing differently. Um, And I realized that these four things apply to design, and they are really specific to design. Yes, you could say they're specific to design in my eyes. Of course, you could say that about other teams. But I think given the fact, given where we are, given the challenges that we have as, as an embedded structure within businesses, where sometimes we're still being asked or, or told, no, this is not product design. No, this is not design, or, or why are you doing that? Um, being the design ambassador, highlighting you know, the relevance and the worth of the design is something that is one of the four pillars of what I do every day and that I think makes my team successful. Empower the team. This is something that I did in Zimbabwe, clearly, a lot. And it's making sure that people own the process. They own um, uh, the, um, you know, the, the, the result and, and they own the, the criteria um, um, that or, or the... Um, 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 well, we talk about KPIs, uh, but you know they're, 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 they own all, almost the way they will be judged on their results. For instance, representing the team is something that, as design managers, we have to do. Um, it is really becoming uh, the, the bridge towards the business and making sure that we have. Um, whenever it's necessary, the right communication. Again, something that, as I was thinking about it, something that I had to do in Zimbabwe. The brochure that I showed you was not to create a pretty brochure to actually please ourselves or do something nice, but actually to help the craftsmen sell their own products. And then protect the team. That's something that um, um, I think is, is, is more important than, than we think. We tend to believe, we, we often tend, I think, uh, as, as design managers, to fight our own, f- our own battles. Uh, personal battles in the boardroom and with our peers, whereas we have to make sure that our resources get the time to actually go out, uh, get trained, get the resources, uh, be empowered, and, and all of that. And, and in a sense, yes, um, I was hesitating on using this word, but you know, it's, it's cutting the red tape, it's cutting the bullshit, uh, you know, and it's indeed protecting the team. And that's basically it. So thank you very much. And uh, again, a pleasure to be here. Great work.